Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, would you? Please open them to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, where we're going to pick up where we left off in verse 8 in a Bible study that I've entitled, By Faith, Abraham Obeyed God. And the word obeyed here doesn't even seem like a strong enough word to describe what we learn from Abraham, but it is the word that's used in verse 8, so we're going to use it. Notice with me in verse 8 of chapter 11, it says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would afterward receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of, uh, with him of the same promise. Verse 10, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham, he's known as the example, one of the greatest examples of faith in all the Bible. And we learned last time, didn't we, that faith and works go together. We also learned that faith without works is what, church? It's dead, it's lifeless, it's useless. That the natural outcome of a faith relationship with God will be works. Oh, we're not saved by works, but we are saved Four works, and you want to see out of an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ, action and obedience and good works done with the motive of pleasing and obeying God. And we've learned that the fruit of abiding is dependence and obedience. We saw Abel in his worship, we saw Enoch in his walk, we saw Noah in his work, and now we see Abraham in a general sense for his life of obedience and his actions. Hebrews is written to a group of Jewish Christians that are wavering in their faith. They lost everything to embrace the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. For the Jew, worship was the center of their lives and worship was centered in the temple. All of the rituals, all of the routines, all of the religion, not just what was given in the scriptures, but what was twisted and turned by the Pharisees and the spiritual leaders of the day. Everything was wrapped up in the temple. So for these, this group of Jews that embraced Jesus Christ as their savior, they literally lost everything. Now over the years that I've had the privilege of pastoring, I have met a few, not many, enough to count on one hand, I have met a few that have literally lost everything in their choice to follow Jesus Christ. Most of us, although we may have lost a friend here and there, perhaps we lost a job, maybe we lost the ability to rent a house or an apartment, there are some losses along the way, most of us haven't lost everything. And you say, Ed, what do you mean by everything? Well, for these believers, in order to follow Jesus, they would have lost all of their wealth, their money. It was all tied up in the worst. It was all tied up in the community. They would have lost their community. They would have lost their social status. 
They would have lost their job, their career. Like the equivalent of that is like, like you, you know, think about it. You spent 20 years, 30 years building up your name, your career, building up a reputation. Maybe you're a part of the Key Club or the Kiwanis and you have done great things in the community and then your choice to follow Jesus Christ, you're kicked out completely. How about this? They also lost their family. Their family turned their back on them. They saw them as betrayal. They, they saw them as betraying the way they were raised, betraying the family name. They didn't understand that Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law. It would be the equivalent of a family saying to them, you know, because of your choice to be a Christian, you're dead to me. So they lost their family, they lost their house, they lost their money, they lost their social status, they lost their routine, they lost their religion, they lost their regularity. What was that replaced with? A free-flowing relationship with Jesus Christ where they're growing and understanding and they're wavering. And one of the ways that they're wavering is they're thinking of going backwards because the temple still existed, the worship is right there, their family may or may not bring them back. They can get back into their social construct. They could have everything back. Now, because it doesn't necessarily apply to most of us, what we did see that applies is that you may be wavering today in your faith and you may be making a choice or, or choices before you to backslide and go back into the world or go back to something you left or to compromise. That's the kind of wavering where you're being tempted, where there's the opera, you know, because, because following Jesus is not easy. Uh, it's not as easy as some people make it out to be. Now, it's not as hard as some people make it out to be, but it's also not as easy. And so because of your faith today, you might feel alone. You might be struggling. You might be battling. You might be full of fear. You might be hurting. You might be wondering. You might be doubting. I mean, the big thing today among the new generation is this idea of deconstructing their faith. And if you're in that mode right now where you're just like, well, you know, I think I want to deconstruct my faith, then I would, off, I would ask you to also offer up that, de I would allow the Holy Spirit to deconstruct your deconstruction and let him speak into your life. Not just allow the world to start shooting questions at you. I'm telling you, every single question you have is answered by God. He is faithful to give you the strength the wisdom and the faith. And sure, maybe you're battling right now. Maybe there's a question in your life that you don't know how to answer. Maybe you're in a place where you go, what is this all about? And why did God allow this to happen? And I don't believe in a God that would such and such and so and so. And those questions don't threaten God. But I'll tell you this, if you don't go to the right place to answer those questions, you will deconstruct yourself out of a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. You will not care about God anymore. And I'll tell you what's gonna happen. I'll tell you exactly what's gonna happen. I don't need to know you. I don't need to know how. I, I'll tell you exactly what's gonna happen. You ready? You were born to worship. You were created to worship. So if you leave the one true living God, you will create a God for yourself. And you know, most often, the God that's created is actually not created at all. You make yourself a God. Little g. You make knowledge a God. You make the, the sense that I'm going to live in the middle and never really believe anything a God. When all the while God has demonstrated all of those little false gods and deities and stuff, they don't have love in them. They're masters and they're cruel masters. But the Bible says and demonstrates that God demonstrated his love for you. That while you were still yet dead in your trespasses and sins, 
God gave his son for you. And God is real, but so are doubts, and so are questions, and I understand that. I've had my fair share of questions and doubts throughout the years. You know, trials will do that to you. Challenges will do that to you. People will do that to you. Grief will do that to you. But God is greater than all those things. He's the way maker. He's the one that makes a way where there is no way. He's the one that's more powerful than our emotions, more powerful than our downtimes, more powerful than our questions. And Jesus himself kind of gave us the, the supreme answer, didn't he? He said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Everything you're looking for. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And there are answers to the things that are on your heart. The Hebrews are going through their own issues. And so Paul writes this letter to them. I believe Paul be, to be the author. He writes this letter to them to settle them and remind them that Jesus is superior, that it was a right decision. And God has sent me here today to remind you, following Jesus, it was a right decision. You made the right decision. You made the right choice. Even if you don't feel that way, God is teaching you to live by faith and not by feelings. And you made the right choice. And whatever you're facing today, whatever you're in the middle of, you will get through it. God will get you through it. And that's what this whole letter is. I know it was heavy in theology. Two of the most uh, questioned, debated, argued about passages in all the Bible are in Hebrews. And we tackled them both. Uh, we gave forth a biblical answer, gave the different sides and said, no, this is what I think it means. It's not as complicated as you might make it out to be or other people have. And you know, when people argue, they tend to miss the forest for the trees and they get all caught up in their argument and forget that the two difficult passages actually are in the book of the Bible that says Jesus is superior. He is fulfilling all of your heart's desire that you were born for this. And Abraham in his life, before Judaism, before the old covenant, before the new covenant, he had a relationship with God. And he had a faith relationship with God. And he becomes the greatest examples of faith in all the Bible. He believed against all odds, enduring in his faith. He possessed an obedient, believing, persevering, enduring faith. So much so that Abraham is actually revered in the three major world religions. Islam reveres Abraham, Judaism reveres Abraham, and Christianity reveres Abraham. That's how important his life has become. That he would be a man of faith, looked up to by people that don't even believe in the one true God and say, man, that guy's special. And that was the promise of God, as we'll see in a moment. Would you turn over to Acts chapter 7 now, uh, and let's look at a few passages describing the faith of Abraham. And as I was studying this week, kind of studying ahead and reviewing this message, it just struck me that what a fun time going through the book of Hebrews has been, because it's taken us back to the Old Testament. And we get to see this stuff as it happened. And I know not many of you were with us over the years where we studied Genesis verse by verse. We studied Exodus. We studied Leviticus. We studied Numbers. We studied Deuteronomy. We studied these books all together verse by verse. And many of you weren't with us back then. So to go back and see them has been really encouraging for me personally. And I hope it has for you. Because remember, the Bible is one unified book. 
It's not two halves, it's one book written by one author. Now, of course, he used human authors, but we know the author of the Bible is God. And he wants to reveal himself to us. So check this out. Uh, Pick up with me in Acts chapter 7, verse 1. This is Stephen standing before uh, the high priest, standing before the religious rulers. He's about to be stoned. So this is his last, he's about to be killed. This is his last message that he teaches them. Like he's sharing the gospel before he goes out. And it says in verse 1, Then the high priest said, Are these things so, these accusations? And Stephen answered, he said, Men and brethren, fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. And he said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I'll show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. God gave him an inheritance, no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him, verse 6. But God spoke in this way, that his descendants would sojourn in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage I will judge, said God. And after that they will come out and serve me in this place, And then he gave him the covenant of circumcision, and Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him. And on the eighth day, Isaac begot Jacob, or on the eighth day, and Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot the 12 patriarchs. So when Stephen is ready to give a spiritual history lesson to to preach the gospel, because he's going to end at the cross, the resurrection, but when he starts and he goes back, he doesn't go all the way back to Adam, he goes to Abraham, because that's what we relate to his audience. Go back now all the way to the beginning in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Abraham was an idolater. He was an idol worshiper, just like his dad. And isn't that the case? It's not any different today. Kids follow their parents. And they usually will follow the easy way. So it's important as we continue to study this life of faith that God raises up as parents, as grandparents, as aunts and uncles in order to influence the next generation. We are literally just one generation of the extinction of faith. We're just one generation from it stopping. You know, we want to have this life. We want to have a life that pleases God. We want our life to matter. And amen to that. Everyone that desires a life to please God, amen to that. But I also want you to remember, in the life that you live toward God, you want to leave a legacy. And you leave a legacy through those that are close to you. You leave a legacy through your family. You leave a legacy through your friendships. And we not only want a life that pleases God, but we want a legacy to the next generation until he returns. So check, now, now here in Genesis 12, let's draw near to what God's had doing with Abram uh, in, in pagan land. This, this is just a pagan word. He's not at church. He's not worshiping. He's not at the temple. He's worshiping idols. But in that, he was able to have a sensitive ear. Notice, now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your kindred, And from your father's house to a land I will show you. I'll make you a great nation and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
Now this tells us something about Abram, and we're going to learn a few things about him in, in this text. But first of all, it teaches us that Abraham had some kind of relationship with the one true God, even though he lived in an idolatrous home. And as we've learned throughout the hall, wall of, the hall of Faith, we've learned that, man, it is possible to live a holy, righteous life in an unholy, unrighteous world. Abraham's another example of that. Not only did he have some kind of relationship with God, he recognized God's voice and he listened. Not only that, notice the next verse in verse four, it says, so Abram argued and was upset and said, no way, leave me, no, that's not what it says. If you're right, if you have a Bible, circle those words, those three words. If you're, you have your iPad or you're reading on your phone, mark it some way and listen to what it says. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. Now, unfortunately, it says Lot went with him and he also took his dad. So he didn't completely obey, but that's good news to us too. Because sometimes you think, well, man, God's not gonna bless me. I don't have a lot of faith because I, I make so many mistakes. Abraham is looked to as one of the greatest examples of faith. And you Bible students, you know, this is not Abraham's biggest mistake. He has a lot of issues and he has a few things even in his marriage, some difficulties in his marriage that God was able to get him through and be used mightily by him. You too can be in the same place. God wants to use you mightily. Abram departed. Abram has some connection to God. And as he grows, it's amazing. It's amazing because the Bible says that Abraham was a friend of God. That's a pretty cool relation. To, to think of the God of all creation is a friend. You can jot it down in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 7. It says, Abraham is his friend forever. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 8, God speaking through Isaiah. Abraham, my friend. James chapter 2, verse 23 says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God. It was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. So come back to with me now to Hebrews chapter 11 and let's learn a few things starting in verse eight about Abraham that will encourage us and help us to follow God in our own lives, stirring up faith for us, helping us to obey and live out just like Abraham did. Notice in verse eight it says, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to the place that he would afterward receive as an inheritance. Now we just learned in Genesis chapter 12, the call of Abraham was get up to a place I'll tell you. Get up to a place I'll tell you. Listen, if God spoke to you and you heard God's voice clearly say this to you, get up to a place that I will tell you, don't you think that somewhere along the way you would say to God, where? Yes or no? I hope yes, I think I would. You're gonna show me where? I said, I'll show you. Where? I said, I'll show you. When will you show me? And you can just hear God says, get up and go. If you want. If you want. One of the things we learn about Abraham is Abraham did not let the lack of knowledge stop him from obeying God. I wonder if someone's listening to me today that's justifying and excusing their disobedience because you lack knowledge. It's a natural thing. It, it's not necessarily a good thing, but it's a natural thing. I mean, some of you, you would be really happy if God showed you the rest of your life. 
God, would you just show me the rest of my life? Who will I marry? Where will I live? What are my kids? Give me, just lay it out. Just, well, maybe not the rest, just the next 10 years. What's the next 10 years? And you think in your mind that if God would reveal to you the next 10 years, life would be easier. Listen, you don't want to know the next 10 years. It will wreck your faith. You're wanting to live by facts, but God wants you to live by faith. And remember this, facts always follow faith. It's not that God doesn't want to reveal things to you, but he's going to reveal them to you at the appropriate time, his timing. Let's just say that God said to you, here you are, I'm going to give you the next year. 365 days in a year. So God says to you, and he writes you a letter, sends it to you, gets in the mail. You open it up, and it says, I'm God, and I'm telling you. And on the 321st day from today, it's going to be the worst day of your life. Do you know that's going to wreck you every day? You're not going to be happy. You're going to, be, you're going to spend 320 days trying to avoid that one day. And if God says, well, it's going to happen uh, right here in Aurora at the Safeway, you're going to make sure on that day you're on a plane to Uruguay, like you're out of here. Because then you think, oh, I can, and you'll just be consumed with that bad day. You don't live by facts. You live by faith. You don't really want to know the future because it will wreck your faith relationship with God. So what does God do? God says, leave to a place I'll show you. Just leave to a place I'll show you. And you say, show me the place, and God says, leave. You say, show me, God says, leave. God says, you know, we want to take all the steps at once. You know, we want to take all the steps at once. But like Pastor Chuck has taught my pastor, my pastor taught me, I get to teach you now. Listen, there is no second step until you take the first step. You'll never know. What's the second, third, fourth step? Take the first one. Take the first one. Take the first one. God will reveal the second one. That's called progressive revelation. And that is the entirety of your life and mine. That's why daily devotions are so important in our lives. Because God's revealing his will one day at a time. He's revealing his heart one day at a time. He's speaking to us one day at a time. And like Abraham, he left even though he didn't know where he was going. And we need to learn how to obey even though we don't know how it's going to turn out. We need to learn how to obey not for the end result, but for the mere joy of being right with God and being a friend of God, no matter how it turns out. As I've often shared with my kids, this is how I raise my kids, and this is how I I pastor. I, I, I told my kids growing up, I would rather have the consequences of obedience than the consequences of disobedience any day of the week, because I've experienced both. And I would rather have the consequences, whatever they might be, for doing the right thing, the right way, God's way, and whatever it is, just put it all on the table and and this is the way it is, than to avoid, to sin, to compromise, and have to deal with all the things and consequences of sin. So we need to learn from Abraham here that when God calls and when God says something, he wants us to obey right away. And from that day forward, the entirety of Abraham's life was one of trusting God day by day, by faith. Let me show you something else. Verse 9. It says, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a foreign country. He dwelt in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Abraham was a sojourner. We don't use that word very much. He was a wanderer. He didn't put his roots down deep anywhere. 
Why? Well, the, verse 10 tells us he had an eternal perspective. He was waiting for the city which has foundations who builder and maker is God. He, he was sojourning, trusting God moment by moment, relying upon him because he had eternity in mind. He, he wasn't stuck or ripped off by what we call in our country the American dream. And we spend your whole life getting the American dream, whatever that is to you, and then once you get it, you find out it's not that big a deal. And now you look back on your life and you go, what did I do with my life? I chased the buck, I chased the career, I chased the possessions, I chased everything else, but I didn't chase the Lord. Do you know the Bible says in Psalm 119 that we're to run over the course of his commandments. The idea is chase after him, that this is a race, that we're to run that lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily traps us so we can run our race with joy. And instead, we get caught up in things that are not eternal. And Abraham gives us the example that he just recognized that he was not a permanent resident of earth. He recognized that it changed his life. And until you recognize that, your life will remain unchanged. Until you recognize that everything you do here on earth, whatever career you're in, however much money you make, whatever car you drive, whatever house, neighborhood, doesn't, whatever it is, has to come second to the call of God on your life. It all has to be from the Lord and to the Lord. He's gonna spread you out like he has in all different areas of facets of society. From firefighters to police officers, to CEOs, to business owners, to stay-at-home moms, stay-at-home dad, like all oh, the whole gamut of God spreading us out. But it's for his glory, not just your bank account, not just your 401k, not just your status in the community. If God has given you status in the community, it's for the gospel. <laughs> it's so that people will come to you and respect you for what you do so that they, in that trust that they have with you, you can share the love of Jesus with them. You can serve them in Jesus' name. Abraham had this sense living by faith. And by the way, you know, when we are so worried about the future and we're so tethered to this world and even in like Abraham lacking knowledge lacking knowledge, we have to learn, Abraham refused, he refused to allow the lack of knowledge, he refused to allow the lack of details, he refused to allow the lack of information trouble his mind. He wasn't like Martha, who was troubled and worried about many things, Jesus said. He, he was confident that even with whatever information he had, he was gonna go forward by faith. And you know, for us, Unfortunately, we often allow the lack of knowledge, the lack of information to trouble our hearts and minds. There's actually a word for that. You know what it is? Worry and anxiety. And we're filled in a very worrisome, anxious world. I know of which I speak because this is one of the areas of my flesh. I worry. And you know one of the things we learned from Abraham? Worry and anxiety is a faith issue. It's a faith issue. Now, I'm not saying that there may not be some physiological thing in your brain, because newsflash, we were all born with broken brains. <laughs> it just works out different ways. You go, what do you mean, Ed? We were all born in sin. None of us have a perfect way of thinking. None of us have a perfect way of doing things. We're all being redeemed. Our physical bodies are being redeemed so that we will then usher into the presence of God, shed our earthly bodies, and get our new bodies. 
And until then, we've got to deal with the effects of sin. For some of you, the effects of sin has made you a worrier, has made you a person that's anxious all the time. But the Bible teaches us that worry at its root is a faith issue because when you are trusting God in that moment, you are not worrying. And if you trust God in two moments, you're not worrying in two moments. And when you cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you, you're not worrying. You can't do both of those at the same time. So that means if you're a worrier and you're anxious all the time, you're lacking faith, trusting God. Now, on a practical level, let me say this. Worry and anxiety is a control issue. <laughs> you go, what do you mean, Ed? Well, think about the things you worry about. Think about the things that you're anxious about even right now. Aren't they over things of which you have no control? No control. Because if you did have control, you'd work the situation out the way that you want it. And why would you worry about something you think you have control over? So how does God redeem worry and anxiety in our lives? First of all, it draws us to him in prayer, draws us to him in dependence and humility, and then it also reminds us that there is one in control, not you. And then you place your faith in the one that does control. You know, we often say this, and I, I gotta get it right this service because I blew it first service, but we often say this phrase, and it's true. We don't know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future. Whichever side you hold on to is either worry and anxiety, we don't know what the future holds, or faith, I know who holds the future. Abraham teaches us that you can trust God even when you don't know what the future holds. And it's wise to trust God because faith will lead to action even into the unknown, even in what's before you. Abraham, he was a person that knew what it was like to follow God. I was reading on this recently and jotted down in Matthew chapter six, Jesus teaches us about worry. He says multiple times, I think six times he tells us in Matthew six, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. I'm gonna provide for you, I'm gonna take care of you. But I was reading on this and I found an interesting statistic about fog. We don't get too much fog in Colorado and California it used to be every morning, foggy morning, couldn't see very far ahead. But check this out. Did you know that fog that covers eight blocks, like a fog that would cover eight city blocks contains 60 trillion droplets of water? Now it made me think, who counted that? But anyway, like 60 trillion droplets of water, which to me is amazing. But if you gathered those trillion droplets of water together, they would amount to a half a cup of water. Just a half a cup. Look at the damage that half a cup of water can do when it's spread out over eight blocks and blinding your vision. Because fog is pretty dangerous. It's, it's sort of like a snowfall at night. You know, it's pretty dangerous. It kind of disorients you. You don't really see too far ahead. You can only see all the 3D-ness of, of the snow falling and the same with the fog. And I learned the hard way, no high beams in the snow. Did you know that? Don't try it, just take my word for it. It's not good. It gets you all dizzy and all messed up and you're like, man, it took me one time. The other thing I learned when I, that was the first year I moved here. The other thing I learned the first year, that when you put your brakes on in the snow, your car doesn't stop the same way as when it's not snowing. And I remember spinning out in the middle of a, in my little Sentra, sprinting out in the middle of an intersection, scared. 
scared. But when I let some half cup of something spread across my life to blind my thoughts, to shut down my trust, when I'm laid up, up late at night fretting and worrying and not sleeping over an issue, that's when Jesus says to us, son, daughter, don't worry. It's just a half a cup. I've got it all taken care of. You know, I happen to be married to a woman that doesn't worry about anything. And can I just say publicly right now, that's not right. <laughs> Nothing troubles her. I do enough worrying in our family for all of us. But she inspires me. You need somebody that in your life that doesn't worry, they can speak into your life. Oh, you go, I don't like talking to them because they're always telling me not to worry. That's what you need to hear. We need to hear and see, not only hear, but see God's strength. It's not just her constitution. It's not just her makeup, although that's part of it. It's also her steadfast faith in God and her trust that no matter what, I'm always thinking, oh, what about this? And how about here? And what if this happens? And, and she's like, hey, look, Ed, Dad, just eat your dinner, man. Like, I'm worried that you won't eat your dinner. See, you're worrying. No, I'll eat it. Don't worry. Or, you know, I'm up sleepless night. What were you up for? You know, she sleeps. I'm up. Oh, I'm tossing and turning. And she's just sound asleep, sound asleep. Wake up in the morning. What were you worried about? Well, you know, whatever. You got to sleep and I'm all. It's like, you should sleep too. You don't understand me. You don't understand me. But she does. And you need people like that in your life. Abraham sojourn. He learned, learned not to, to not have to have every single answer in order to trust God. He learned that this world was not his home. He learned that his citizenship was in heaven first. We forget that. We get caught up in the now. We get choked and strangled by the now. We, we get taken away by the now. We learned that Abraham was a pilgrim. And a pilgrimage is a vocation, not a vacation. It is your life. It, it is what God wants to do in your life. It's not just a title. It's not just another word. It, it is what God is doing in your life. We need to keep that in view. Which he says to finally in verse 10, he waited for the city. Waiting is not passive. It's active. He was urgent. The idea of the text here is he was urgently waiting. He was expecting. He wanted. He looked forward. He knew it was coming. He wanted to be in the, that eternal city that God made, that God designed. We know that today is heaven, but there's also gonna be a physical city. Heaven and earth will pass away. Listen, what you're into right now will pass away. Whatever new technology you have is going away and something new is coming. Whatever happened, you just bought a brand new car, you're so excited, isn't that great, it smells so good, it will stink soon enough. Someone will scratch it. I, I, just, I, I always trip out on you guys that park, and I don't know if it's you, it's not personal, but somewhere, somewhere, that take up two spaces for your brand new car. You can't have two spaces. Your car's gonna get scratched. It's gonna get dinged. It's gonna get bumped. It's gonna happen all before you pay it off. It's just a car. And it's not gonna last forever. But you share the gospel with someone, that seed of the gospel will last eternally in their heart. They'll have to, they refuse God the rest of their life, they're going to have to answer for the seed of the gospel and your love and your care for them. They're going to have to answer for your service of them. They're going to have to answer, why didn't you respond? Why didn't you go? Why didn't you listen before God? And you wondering about the will of God for your life right now? Let me say this, because a lot of people wonder, what's the will of God for my life? I don't know what the will of God for my life. Listen. If you're not in rank rebellious sin right now, then here's the answer. 
wherever you are and whatever you're doing in this moment, it's God's will for your life. That's God's will. Whatever you are and whatever you're doing, if you're not in rank sin, because if you're in rank sin, then God's will is for you to repent, forsake sin. But if you're not in rank sin, you just live in life, trusting God, abiding in him, wherever you are, whatever you're doing is the will of God. Like right now, you are listening to me. This is the will of God for your life, to sit there and listen to me. Isn't that great? That's the will of God. It is. You listen to the radio, this is the will of God for your life. To hear this message, to hear this word, to be where you are, what you're doing in the will of God. He lived in tents. You go, where am I supposed to live? Right here, Abraham, where your tent is. Yeah, but what about tomorrow? Right here. The will of God is for you to sojourn here, where you are there. And when you go there, God's will for you to be there. And when you go over there, God's will for you. And it just opens up this panorama of enjoying your relationship with the Lord and you're not so worried about whether you're doing it right, just do something. God will show you if it's wrong or not. Do something. Be willing to make a mistake. Be willing to fail. Step out. Give God a chance. Well, I don't know what I'm doing. Okay, we've heard that enough. Now do something. We've heard it enough. We've heard it enough. Well, I don't know what God, and I'm not sure. Okay, all right, all right. Now go do something for the Lord, because he loves you still. It doesn't matter. Obey him in the moment. What you're involved in is temporary. Learn from Abraham today, church, as we head out. Abraham's faith comes with a commitment, a commitment to follow. It involves listening, leaving, and an ongoing obedience. There has to be a leaving behind this present world, church, a clinging to the Lord, looking for heaven, eternally minded, heavenly minded so you can be earthly good. We are not citizens of earth trying to get to heaven. No, that's not. We are citizens of heaven trying to get through this world. This world is corrupt and evil at its core. The Bible says that the devil is the prince of the power of the air. There is nothing redeemable in this world apart from Jesus Christ. You will not find Jesus in anything except the believers that follow him. You won't find it in the structures of this world, the governments of this world. You will only find it in the people in which he dwells. That's how important you are. Even the United Nations we saw in our study in Daniel, you know, they, they quote the Bible, but they don't represent the Lord. And they don't even quote the whole thing. They misquote the Bible for their own purposes. And we learned in Daniel that we're introduced to this guy. He's known as the Antichrist, capital A. And he gets a lot of attention. People miss the rest of that verse where John says in 1 John that not only is the Antichrist coming, but many Antichrists have already come. And the word anti, if you're taking notes, has two definitions. The one is most popular. It means to be against. And so there's a lot in our culture that's against Christ, against Christ, against Christ, against Christ. Everywhere you turn, against Christ. And we get that. But secondly, that prefix anti also means in place of. And think about our culture that has tried to replace God. And I don't just mean our country. This is a global problem. This is a global problem because the gospel is global. And how many structures and how many processes and how many people have tried to replace Jesus Christ in the world and also in your life. And you see how important Hebrews is to keep your eyes firmly fixed on the Lord your eternal reward, what's coming, so that you can enjoy what is now. Because wherever you are and whatever you're doing apart from sin is exactly the will of God for your life. 
and learn from Abraham because the will of God for your life and mine is to live by faith, trusting him, holding fast to him. Next time we'll look at Abraham and his waiting and how important it was in his life. So Father, thank you for the privilege of your word today and the joy of knowing and gathering together as a church family with all that's swirling around our globe today and all the things that could cause us to fear and be upset and and be stirred. We ask for you to calm our hearts and stir faith in us that we would learn to live to trust you, to receive, Lord, your word, to receive your encouragement and to find ourselves in a place of following you no matter what. And so God, thank you for your word and thanks for Abraham. Look forward to meeting him one day, just talking to him about, you know, what do we got right about his life and what did we miss that we would continue to grow in our understanding of trusting you in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week 